Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to Rob Observations. Rob Observations because I'm Rob and observations because they're, they're mine. And uh, I, I, I made this column called Rob Observations, which ran in the Wizard Magazine in 1995. But even prior to that, I had an awesome, uh, uh, I, I guess, uh, I, I was about to call it a blog, but it wasn't because there were no blogs. Uh, the, the origin of Rob Observation, Observations goes back to an APA. What is an APA? Good question. I I always, I never really like saying APA, but Amateur Press Association. So I learned that there was a Teen Titans fan club when I was at a uh, comic convention in Los Angeles when I was 16 years old. And my friend Hank Canals, you've heard me mention Hank often. Hank and I are, we really haven't stayed in in touch. I I talked to him at length uh, three San Diegos ago. We kind of had... You know, we didn't have lunch, but we had about 90 minutes where we just sat down and, and caught up. And Hank uh, was someone that I met through these APAs. And, and, and lo and behold, he then moved out to live in Southern California because his family was relocating for, uh, for uh, I guess, his dad got a new job. Great family, great people. Got to uh, go out, visit Hank, get to know him. We had uh, a similar passion for comic books. I've often cited that Hank accompanied me to the um, comic convention, WonderCon, the very first WonderCon, in 1987, where I got hired to to uh, draw comic books by Marvel. Mark Grunewald hired me on the spot. I've covered that in, in several of the different podcasts. There is a very long version of it. I think the, the, the best version I've told is uh, a couple weeks back, live from New York. I did a, I, I, I uploaded an entire episode based on my panel that was recorded at the New York Comic Con. And I go through a very long, uh, uh, but I, I, I think very fun, because it's the way I was feeling, how I got to the last, you know, people to look at my work. And I, and I probably wouldn't have. I was ready to leave humiliated, but Hank told me to go stand in line and submit my stuff to Marvel. And I did, and thank the good Lord that my comic career started that day. It started that very day. It was so exciting. So... Hank and I met through an amateur publication, Amateur Press Association, because the Titans fan club, which is, that's where I learned about APAs, was uh, where you would, you, you would mail uh, your contribution to each and every publication to the central mailer. Our central mailer was named Margie. And at the, the Titans group, I think when I joined, they had 40 members. It got to about 60, 70 members. And that means 70 people could possibly be contributing to every issue. But that wasn't really the case because there would often be people who said, hey, I didn't contribute this issue. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I couldn't contribute. Um, we would call each other uh, on phones. We would write each other letters. This is a time before the internet, before cell phones, before any sort of online interaction whatsoever. It was about snail mail and phone calls. But the, uh, my introduction to this was I would draw Teen Titans characters and I would mail them in. I would go to my local copy place, copy machine, before there was Kinko's. There was no Kinko's at this time. There was just local mom and pop copy places. And you would go and I would get, you know, uh, if, if, if I knew, she, Margie would tell me, look, uh, she'd let, let each of us know the date for the next uh, APA is X. It was quarterly, so every three months. I think at one point we got to bi-monthly. 
But if, if you wanted to contribute, you're, you're supposed to spend 60, 65 copies, whatever. And sometimes I, I wanted to color my thing. So I would make 65 copies and I would hand color 65 individual pieces. Some, it was called Titan Talk. That was the Titan fanzine. And the whole reason that I discovered it was somebody had a copy of it at this comic convention and it had a brand new George Perez cover and God bless George. He allowed it to be exclusive to Arts Fan Club for about two years and then they used it uh, in like 1986 as an ad for DC Comics because I mean George was like, look, I I mean it was a A plus, you know, top flight, uh, uh, really great George detail drawing of the whole team standing in the Titan Tower, very tight shot. I mean, one of one of the best team shots he's ever done of them just casually. They weren't running towards us. They were like toasting because it was the one-year anniversary cover that he did to the Titan Talk magazine. Marv Wolfman would um, contribute maybe an article here and there. Um, we would be able to interview, I think, George once a year. Uh, you know, he'd answer some questions. We ended up taking George to lunch, uh, to dinner, Marv at the shows. They got to know us through these amateur press uh, associations, APAs. So... This was the Titans Appa. And what Hank did is he started his own Appa called Yappa. And Yappa was Young Heroes Associated Press, uh, Amateur Press Association, Appa, okay? And then I started um, contributing to that as well because Hank was the central mailer. So I could just drive stuff to him here in Corona, California, where he was um, living. So, you know, Yappa was broader than Titan Talk. It was legion and x-men whatever he liked blue devil and again met a lot of talented folks made some friends along the way met andy mangles met brian york met john balen um just mike mettler just great guys great people all throughout um really enjoyed all of our various interactions when i went to chicago in 1985 i had already met so many of these people through the titan appa and in that appa is where i came up with my very first column about Rob's observations where I wanted to talk about the comics that I liked and the stuff that I thought was going on in comic books. This is obviously a year, year two, two years before I was into comics. So I wear my nerd credentials um, high and mighty because I've been involved in all of it. I mean, that is um, that is hardcore fandom right there when you would send your contributions to a central mailer. And again, sometimes in the, uh, in, in like, I think between my junior year and my senior year, so 84 and 85, uh, I mean, there were times I'd send six contributions. And, you know, I, I'd draw Jericho. I would draw Cyborg. Cyborg was my favorite by far. It wasn't even close. Um, I'd draw a Starfire. Um, I, I, I would draw Raven. You know, I would draw Thunder and Lightning, some characters um, from uh, from from the Titans. Uh, in the Yappa, I would draw so many Legionnaires, Karate Kid, Timberwolf, uh, Element Lad, Dev M. I mean, I just, I was, I was really into it, but I would uh, pencil in my own illustrations and send them off to the central mailer. They would become collated and everyone's contributions uh, were then collated and stapled and sent out to us with a cover and a back cover. Different people got selected. So exciting. Great time. Uh, unbelievable time in fandom. But it was that time in 1984, 1985 that I wrote my first Rob observations columns. I then, as a professional, uh, started write, writing Rob observations for Wizard Magazine and its sister publication, a uh, Entertainment Retailing, which was a much bigger, like um, magazine, Rolling Stone magazine size 
And I've shared those on Facebook and on Twitter. I've shown you guys excerpts because, again, I was talking about where I saw different companies and different talent and different characters being positioned in the industry. And it it made people mad because it was um, seen like, well, why is Rob Liefeld being given a platform to talk about um, what he likes and doesn't like? And, you know, look, I felt like I earned the platform, but I understood also why it angered other people because maybe I didn't love a comic book from a company that everyone else was loving on and I didn't mind expressing to you that I like something else better, okay? Um, now, nowadays, you know, we do this via blogs and, uh, and, and podcasts. And, and so, again, this is the podcast version of what I started to do when I was 16 freaking years old, okay? Again, I graduated. It is a matter of public record in June of 1985 from Whittier Christian High School at 17 years old. So my junior year, I'm 15, 16. My senior year, I'm 16, 17. I, w- I did not get my driver's license till October 3rd, my junior year. I was so late to the driving game. Everybody was driving my sophomore year, but I was still getting hitching rides, catching buses. Um, what a drag. But anyway, Rob Observations was born in an amateur press association. And now I give it to you guys speaking into this awesome microphone that my son went and bought me. What a great kid. Uh, And you guys have been on this ride and we are going to really talk about the ride we've been on together because today is about X-Force. It is the 30th anniversary of X-Force and this entire podcast is going to be me telling you about the comic that I have this week. Now, why not? Why not? Right? I've got my own podcast show. Shouldn't I be promoting something that I do? I think I should. (laughs) I think I've given, I've talked to the executive, uh, everybody who runs the observations empire all named me and we cleared, uh, we cleared out some space for me to promote this project. Um, X-Force Killshot is in stores this week. Now, as I understand it, some diamond accounts are not receiving these books till the following week. Uh, I believe it goes on Comixology and it is, it is in Penguin Stores uh, starting on Tuesday night, Wednesday, whatever, uh, this week prior to Thanksgiving. And I could not be more excited to get it into your hands. This was an absolute labor of love. I'm going to talk about some of the origins. I'm going to talk about my approach. Uh, and along the way, because I have my copy right in front of me, I'm so excited to share this with you guys. Always, always before the book comes out, I freak out. Um, I won't say which cover, but this year, one of the covers I did printed really dark and I called the publisher and said, hey, look, this is an issue. This, this, I worked at a print shop. It's, it's what I did when I was 14, 15, 16. I understand ink levels, water levels. You got to pay attention. That's why if you guys know famously, New Mutants 87, the first appearance of Cable, that some of the covers are orange and some of them are bright red. That is because, and I've mentioned this before, I think. Somebody turned away from the printing press, especially back then before we had the high-tech presses that we have today because we did not have these high-tech computerized, computer-monitored presses back in 1989, which is, when, uh, which is when New Mutants 87 arrived. And because I worked in a print shop uh, uh, doing flyers, manuals, booklets, uh, all of that stuff as a teenager because my dad had come up working in a print shop and got me a job uh, near our church, working at the print shop that our church printed everything out. You know, Christmas programs, the Easter program, the music program, the, the all the flyers. You know, I basically was able to have that account. And as a teenager, they taught me. I mean, I I, I shot film, I uh, I cut negatives, uh, I did the lathing, um, I, I I I I developed, uh, I stripped the film. 
I burned the plates. I hooked the plates up to the printing press. I ran the press. I adjusted the inks. You know, that's why that, and, 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 and there's, there's a little bit of water to go with your magenta and your cyan and uh, all, all the different colors. And when you take, you know, your eyes off of that, those levels may change and the ink gets darker or lighter. And so if you've ever wanted to know, you know, that's because it's very pure and simple. It's ink levels. It's ink levels, water levels. That's all affecting the color that is put on your paper. Even with today's amazing printing presses, there's, it still boils down to a version of that. Um, you know, it's just like when your Epson printer is running low on cyan or magenta, uh, yellow, you know, and, and you're getting a different quality, um, on, on your, on your photos or your pictures that you're printing out. It's the same, you know, application. It's the same methodology. You have to adjust. And so one of my covers this summer by a publisher came back way too dark, so dark that it, you had trouble seeing the majority of the line work that um, was put in. Now, here's the deal. It was uh, a color. It was a different color variant on another existing cover. So on one version of this cover, the line art and the color merged beautifully. But when I did an adjustment on the variant, it was super dark. And, and so I was able to call in and the, and the publisher was very, very, uh, open to my, you know, critique and my concern and they adjust, they addressed it. And, and then the rest of the covers that followed it were all great. But then now you've got an interior book. And if, in case you didn't know, there is a labor shortage, um, at the printers, there's a paper shortage. It, it is described um, as a bit of chaos. I mean, both um, Image Comics, Marvel Comics, all, all, not both. Image, Marvel, DC, every publisher has been cut down in terms of the capacity, the quantity that they can do per week. And it's backing work up. And I mean, uh, X-Force Killshot was in five weeks prior to arriving in your hands, possibly six, if I go back and count. Bottom line, it used to be you could get your book out in two weeks and have it on the stands. The turnaround was much faster. And I'm not talking uh, books like in China, like my Snake Eyes uh, trade paperback, IDW, um, Dark Horse, a lot of them, they do they do some of their trades and their hardcovers overseas, which they, like when Snake Eyes, Dead Game number five, went to press in July because the entire book was done. Issue five was done. Well, they had the files to one, two, three, four, and five, and they already knew what they were doing as the cover, the back cover. They had it prepped to go. When Snake Eyes 5 went to press here in America to get you the fifth issue and it turned around in a matter of three weeks. And again, this is just back in July, how things have changed. They sent all the files to China for the printing because everything is much cheaper there of the much more expensive trade paperback, which is now, you know, square bound, uh, 100 and, you know, uh, uh, 40 pages. And those came over on a boat. And obviously they got caught up in the uh, freight shortage off the shores of Long Beach and Los Angeles because that's where that stuff goes in. And IDW told me, you know, we, we've been, we were behind in receiving it by about a month, but they got it. I got my copies a couple weeks ago. It could, the book looks great. But again, trade paperback, so much of the more expensive material to, you know, crunch the numbers and make them work better for the publisher, which is what we want. We want the publishers to do well. They send their stuff overseas. And, um, which means it has to be, you know, the delay is more, but so a book in July came finally in the end of it was, you know, the printing of the book probably took four days, maybe three, but then it gets packaged and shipped and loaded and sent on a boat. 
and three months later, it's here. And that that again, that is part of the disruption of the of the cycle with some of these publishers, whether it's Boom, whether it's IDW, whether it's Dark Horse, the pricing is so advantageous to go and do the heavier collections overseas. Some image collections as well, if they have the time and can get them there in as in enough time, they do. Um, so, so you know, the, the Snake Eyes stuff was sent out and, you know, Dead Game 5 arrived. And even because of the chain of, of the shortage, the, the, the supply chain with the freighter ships and um, the docks, you know, Snake Eyes, the trade paperback would have been out a few weeks ago, but it's going to be out very soon. I'm very excited because all this stuff is coming towards the end of the year. But what does that have to do with X-Force Killshot? I was concerned given that the paper shortage, the labor shortage, that maybe there wouldn't be as keen a group of eyes watching this book. Because at some point, you got to believe to somebody on some shift, it's just another comic book and they don't care. What they need to do is get it printed, get it boxed, get it loaded, get it shipped. X-Force Killshot came out fantastic. I was so beyond thrilled with the printing of this book. Because again, printing is such a big deal. It matters so much. And uh, we've, we've been um, talking about printing, you know, my entire uh, career. And, and, you know, if you buy some of these artist edition books that they put out, the artisan editions or the art books, some of the artists who did the line art said, you know, we're happy that you're going to be able to see the line art now for the first time because when it was printed in color going back to the 90s, you know, the coloring uh, uh, scrunched up and, and ruined some of the line work. I can tell you this last weekend... I decided to get uh, pictures of every page of original art that I own. And I started with all my John Byrne, uh, Terry Austin, X-Men stuff. And it's funny that some of the original pages I own are actually, in fact, better representation in black and white than they are in color. Because the color, even back then, 1977, 1978, 1979, I have pages from 1980, it's too dark. It's too dark and it clusters and it closes up line art. So these are all the concerns that we have, that we agonize as the people who make the comics to get them to you. And I can tell you that every single creative team has these same concerns. I was just a little more nervous about this because I knew what this meant. This was a once-in-a-lifetime representation of a dream of mine to do this story, which I have wanted to tell you since 1991. This is a story that I had going all the way back to X-Force. One day I will talk about all the true reasons I left X-Force when I did, why I did. It's, it's, uh, it's not any one reason, but some are more important than others. And some of them I've held very close to the vest. But I could and did and had uh, stories for these characters that ran for years and years and years. And one of the things I always wanted to do was, uh, in my mind, I just... the, 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 uh, the working title that I've had since 1991, and I know for a fact... My good friend, Marat Michaels, who was my assistant back then, who was making his way up in the business by ruling borders, filling in, uh, you know, technical lines, uh, filling in black spaces with the Black India Ink to save me time, making FedEx runs. So much fun. Marat was there. I had a story called 100 Cables. 100 Cables. Because I love time travel and I love all manner of different time travel stories. And 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 it's funny when, you know, you get a bunch of... Uh, Characters that don't really understand time travel and they all kind of collapse on each other and they always play that for humor. Like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, Billy from 10 minutes ago is here and Billy from 10 years ago is right there. With cable, it would always be deliberate. There would be no accidental grouping of cables. It would be 100 cables activated by one central cable who knew that they were all necessary in order to make a mission succeed. 
And so I have always had this 100 cables idea where Cable would team up with younger uh, and, and, and older versions of himself in, in, able, in, in order to execute the prime, some prime directive that he had, some, some bad guy he had to take down. So I've, I've had this kicking for years. So lo and behold, Marvel uh, generously contacted me. Uh, it was it was November of 2020 and said, "Hey Rob, let's uh, let's let's do something for Deadpool's 30th anniversary." Obviously, Deadpool is a big, important brand and character to them, and I've covered that on many different podcasts. Again, I urge you to go listen to the making of Deadpool. I started that podcast uh, right in the first month, January of 2021, of the 30th anniversary of Deadpool, and I have I cover the toys, the the movies, the comic books. The original sketches, the con- the original conceit. Um, I walk you through everything as I put it together and 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 delivered it to you. And then watching other people take Deadpool into different directions. Ultimately, uh, f- from 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 the day day one when he became an action figure, and then ten action figures, and then twenty statues, and a hundred statues, and 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 you know now he's you can buy his mask and his plastic swords and. Just the absolute licensing. I cover all that, the video games and how he was so important for a solid decade in the Marvel video game world. Well, I was all for it. Great. And and maybe you picked up one of my 30 Deadpool anniversary covers that I did in the last year. I hope you did. I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed bringing it to you. It was fun getting those lists. If, if some people have asked me, but I can tell you right now, I never once was able to select. Uh, I didn't even try. I just knew that they were going to give me a fun list. And they did, which is why, you know, uh, the last list that I got said, Rob, we're going to do Deadpool Kazar, Deadpool Eternals, Deadpool Spider-Woman, Deadpool Nick Fury, uh, Deadpool Black Widow, Deadpool Shang-Chi. You haven't seen some of those. Not all of those have made them to your hands yet. They're going, they're going to be there soon. They're absolutely going to make their way to you guys um, sooner than later, um, probably before the year is up. But while I'm doing all this, I said to CB Sobolski, who I have tremendous love and respect for, uh, CB has been very good to me. To the point where, if things went sour between him and me now, I would only remember the good things that he did. Uh, I am buying what CB is selling, and I'm lucky that CB is buying what Rob is selling. I I I, I buy into CB as a genuine fan of comic books of multiple different periods of Marvel Comics. I met CB 25 years ago. He was running his own. Um, CP Manga. He 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 had a manga. Uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, anthology, anthology book, uh, collection of stories that he was publishing. Um, really enthusiastic, great guy. We all we all like the same stuff. X Force two thousand four. The covers that I did on Cable and Deadpool when it launched her because of CB Sabowski approaching me in the summer of two thousand three, saying, "Would you come back? Would you do some of this stuff?" I'm like CB, you know, I love this stuff. Of course. And let me, I'm, I'm going to reiterate this a couple times because this is the perfect time. No one is, no one will or can possibly love these characters having this 30th anniversary more than me. When you make the characters, when you initiate, when you introduce, when you create, when you design, when you, um, you know, uh, uh, originate these characters out of your sketchbooks, your notebooks, the names, the, 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 the powers, the origins are all sitting there ready to be activated. When that happens, you know, that you are, um, you are thrilled for the lifetime of these characters. Even when there's versions of them that you don't care much for that are being published along the way, which I knew that the creators of fill in the blank had to deal with as well. For the longest time, the coolest thing, and I knew it wasn't available because I had an X character. I had X characters. I had 
plural, lots of X characters. The one thing for a long time that Marvel protected Frank Miller, they would not let anyone depict Elektra unless it was Frank. And that was kind of an understanding that they had. Given how Frank, I'm going to back up before the given how, a little, little, little light shining on that aspect that you should know. I've covered it several times. Daredevil was a bi-monthly book that was close to cancellation. When Frank Miller took it up, took it over, and I've done multiple podcasts on this again that I would love for you to listen to because it goes much more in depth, covers much more detail. And as you guys know, I will read out of uh, published books, materials, interviews. I will give you the receipts, the dates, the times that people say what they say, when they say, the statistics, when they happened. I think it's important. I think people too much now make stuff up. People are making stuff up all the time. But let's say there's two sides. I think there's probably three or four sides of, of our media now. Each one of them tailors a narrative to fit what they want you to believe. It's so sad. It's, it's, uh, the truth gets lost. It just gets, it's, everything is a game of telephone now, but it doesn't have to be. And if you have the actual printed material, the words that creators say when they were creating some of your favorite creations as those creations were taking off, um, when they are telling you the secrets behind that stuff, uh, that's, that's really worth its weight in gold because you are getting a sneak peek, a, a, a glimpse into the mind of the creator. And where, where, where Frank Miller was concerned is he took on a very uh, uh, difficult task of turning Daredevil around. Again, it, it had gone from monthly to bi-monthly. That's because of sales. That's because people weren't buying it. Daredevil was really struggling. It was struggling its whole publication life, it would, it would, it would get, it would get kind of maybe, uh, you know, it would catch, it would catch a stream of popularity with a storyliner or, or something, but it never really exceeded Spider-Man and, and Daredevil was always seen as kind of a second rate Spider-Man. Why was he seen as a second rate Spider-Man? He's a powerless guy, again, physically powerless. He, he has the, you know, sensor, the sen- the, you know, his, his sensory perceptions, his extra senses, uh, radar sense. And he obviously was a great athlete, acrobat guy, could swing around the city. Um, but he didn't have the superpowers. Therefore, he was less than Spider-Man who did all the same things. He swung around the city. He stood on rooftops. He battled kind of street-level uh, gangs. Spider-Man was not really going up against the, do- the Doctor Dooms and the Magnetos. He was going up against more street-level villains. And so was Daredevil. So when Frank Miller took Daredevil, which was shipping every other month, and made it monthly... And eventually made it the number two comic because it couldn't it couldn't unseat X Men. Maybe for one month it did. Maybe when Elektra died, but that's how popular X Men was, which kind of was the same thing. A book that was in reprints that came back by monthly and then boom caught fire and went monthly and became the biggest franchise. With uh, with Frank, so much of it was this romance mystery intrigue that he introduced when he introduced this seminal character in the Daredevil mythos called Elektra. And so Marvel had an understanding that really lasted from, from, from where I was sitting for the better part of 24 years that no one else other than Frank depicted Elektra. So he didn't have to worry about anybody else doing it. He had a good handshake deal and nobody did. And then they gave Elektra her own series and it was written by someone other than Frank and drawn by somebody other than Frank. And that was later in the 90s when they just decided let's, let's you know, just do a little of everything and let's not let, let, let those those agreements were a, di- a different time a different place which they were and marvel owned the characters so for the most part though if you introduce something in the in the x universe you knew that it was going to get exploited as you can imagine i've done some press 
for this book coming out, and, and everyone kind of asks me why cable was necessary, and, and in the easiest, most non-insulting way to put it is the New Mutants book, which I had bought from the day it was spun off in 83 with Chris Claremont and Bob McCloud. Uh, I had been there from the very beginning. The graphic novel, the book, I, I, I was, you know, just... This, this, this book was made for me. It was the very first, you know, X-Men spinoff, X-Men universe spinoff. And then later we got X-Factor, and then we got Wolverine, okay? And then, obviously, the Bloors just blew up after, after something like X-Force. And it just, you know... Uh, but before then also, before then, we got Excalibur, which was the British kind of international. Don't want to leave Excalibur out. But New Mutants was the first one. And I was a fan. And I was struggling to really find excitement for New Mutants, even as a fan. And believe me, even though I was drawing comics as, as a professional in 1987, 88, 89, I was still buying comics. You know, I would still buy comics um, because I love them. And, and I, I would make my weekly trek and I wanted to see what everyone else was doing. And I wanted to see how people were inking and how people were storytelling and drawing. And But the New Mutants for about a year and a half period were just aimless, lost. They were kind of wandering through other people's adventures. The they had, X-Men had gone to Asgard and had adventures, and then the New Mutants kind of hung around, and they kind of were hanging around Asgard in the valleys and the hills and the, you know, of, uh, kingdoms of Asgard. And, and it was a weird uh, juxtaposition. I don't think it really fit beyond the one great depiction of it that Art Adams and Chris Claremont did in the New Mutant special. It didn't fit for me, the reader, and it obviously didn't fit for other fans because the sales were dropping and they were dropping fast. And the coalition of New Mutants characters that they had were, were aimless. They, were they at Clubhouse? You know, they didn't have a teacher. Magneto had come in and out. Xavier had come in and out, but they didn't have a voice of their own. You knew Magneto first, foremost, and always as an adversary. And that's how you preferred him with the X-Men. When he kind of came in and was a semi-reluctant teacher to the New Mutants, you didn't really... That's not the Magneto that you wanted. That's not how you envisioned it. Maybe one or good, uh, one or two good stories could be taken from that scenario, but you didn't know. You knew. You just knew it was not Magneto's destiny to be their teacher. Same with Xavier. He had his hands full with the, the adult X-Men. So the New Mutants were kind of getting lost, and they were coming up bumping around. Cable gave the team focus. It gave them a narrative. It gave them a mission. It gave them consequences. It's not an accident that I introduced Cable and Strife and the Mutant Liberation Front in my first issue. Um, the reason New Mutants 87 feels the way it does is because of me. And I can talk about me as the 22, 21-year-old that I was because I know, I remember him. I miss him. He was a firecracker. He was a pistol. He didn't, he wasn't safe. He couldn't afford to be safe. He had a family to help. His parents were broke. Uh, things were bad. Uh, he wanted to have a bright future and provide for his family. And he knew that he was in against uh, a very competitive new group of artists. All the guys that he worshipped growing up, I'm speaking of, again, young Rob here, he recognized that they were getting older and their contributions weren't didn't have the same electricity as, as they did when he was younger. And they were all now getting to be 20-year veterans and maybe they were getting a little bit of burnout and, and searching for new paths and experimenting with their formats and their styles. But the new group that he was breaking in with, and I've covered that in uh, The Owlboys. Tried to say that exactly like The Owlboys. And you should listen to the podcast <laughs> called The Owlboys. And I'll just leave it at that because everything you need to know is in the podcast of Observations, the episode, it's a season one episode, it's called The L Boys. 
It is straight from the heart. It is exactly as I remember it happening, but it was true. Ron Lim, Rob Liefeld, Eric Larson, Jim Lee. A lot of L's, a lot of L boys. We were coined that by Todd McFarlane. Go listen to that podcast right now. You'll get a kick. Uh, it is people tell me how much they enjoy that. And I enjoyed sharing it with you because some of it, it was just me retelling you uh, exactly what happened, how it happened. But I was, I knew how competitive my peer group was and I knew how hard it was going to be to accomplish the goals that I wanted given that I had uh, Boom Boom and Richter, uh, you know, um, um, and Sunspot. Not exactly everybody's idea of the hottest characters in the comic universe, much less the Marvel universe. So Cable, as his own brand of of tough guy, you looked at him, you saw a gruff, hairy, beefy, uh, weaponized, a, a guy with multiple, you know, guns and, and armaments, but inside he was super smart and strategic and somewhere between Nick Fury and Reed Richards was Cable. And as you, the readers, if you were there at the time, uh, were, were, were reading the comic, you responded the way you did because I can't make you like something if you don't. And most people didn't like the New Mutants at the time because we were struggling. I was given it with the caveat that if we don't turn the sales around, um, they're just going to cancel it. And it wasn't like we're mad that we're canceling. It's just like we're tired. Nothing seems to work with this book. I think my editor was blown away because again, you have to understand, I turned down X Factor, the guaranteed payday, the higher profile gig to do New Mutants because, and, and so many guys should learn this, I was not about to follow in the footsteps of a comic book legend like Walt Simonson. And and when Walt stopped doing Thor, he started doing X-Factor. And you want to talk about, it invigorated him. His work on X-Factor is some of the most under-celebrated work of his career because so many people focus on the Thor stuff. Um, and 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 the, the X-Factor stuff that he did is just phenomenal. The layouts, the drawing, the gestures, the faces, the rendering, it is a masterclass of exciting comics and he was moving on and they offered it to me and I didn't want to be in his shadow because I would have been and there was no way I was not going to be in his shadow he was too great he was too too accomplished and I would never be able to fill those shoes but the new mutants I recognized as a fan was broke but it needed some conceptual things and what I brought to it conceptually was Cable and then Strife and the MLF and this created a new narrative for the team there's a guy He's walking, you see that he's coming through a portal and he's got a message and he's a man of mystery because he's not telling everybody who he is. And that was purposeful. And I was determined not to tell you exactly who he was until I got the job writing the book, which was promised to me when I said yes to drawing the book because they were doing a full house keeping. And my editor, Bob Harris, had told me, you can write the book. I think he was wavering because of his loyalty. And the thing that that I got to tell you, I think that may be a little misunderstood about about Bob Harris is he was really loyal and he was loyal to the group that came before us, even though he recognized and had told us he felt that many of them, it was time for them to move on. It's time, you know, sometimes you've got to inject some new creativity without new creativity. The X-Men is absent. Dave Cockrum, John Byrne, Paul Smith, Mark Silvestri. I mean, you got to inject Bill Sienkiewicz on the new mutants. You got to inject new blood and we were the new blood. I was the new blood on New Mutants, but I needed something more than to draw these kids. And when Bob said, well, what about having a new leader? And I said, yes. And I brought in Cable, who I had sitting around from an Alpha Flight proposal. 
because Cable was going to be an Alpha Flight, and he was going to butt heads with Wolverine, who was going to become very important to that Alpha Flight franchise, had that gone through. But I had Cable, my time traveler from the future, my future bro, my 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 you know um, um, expert militant guy, and I knew exactly how to put him into this world, and the futuristic, um, the 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 man of tomorrow. The first thing I said to Bob Harris is I said he comes from a future where he's seen every X-Men die and he knows exactly how and why. And he's trying to lead them down another path so that they don't get destroyed as he's seen in the, in the future that he's coming from. And I didn't want to give any more than that at the beginning because I did not want my story to be scooped up by somebody else. Again, you got to hold a lot of the cards close to your vest. And I did. And I was really happy to. And so that's why things really accelerate in issue 98, 99, and 100. And then they really pick up again in issue one. And in issue one of X-Force in 1991, which was honored to sell 5 million copies of and just blow the doors off the competition, which we did, which again, I've also covered in in a couple different, uh, maybe the birth, maybe there's a two-part making of cable uh episode that i did uh from season one that you should also check out that gives a ton of detail as well that gives a whole lot of detail and uh the bottom line is that <laughs> that 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 cable always had a mission and a purpose and a consequence but i wasn't going to show it until i could do it on my terms and in issue one of x-force he's starting to start starting to use telekinesis and all of these Tools are floating around him, and Domino's like, what are you doing? Are you going to let them find out who you really are? Well, he's got telekinesis, which is, you know, a, a, a trait uh, of, 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 you know, Marvel girls. It's, it's a powerful mutant trait. Um, it, has a, it has a tether to a famous family called the Summers family, and we, that was the second kind of escalation. The, 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 I guess arriving was his first escalation, revealing that, he was, that, that Strife was a clone of Cable was the second. And now we have a third level of escalation, which is his true identity is starting to be peeled away. And, he, and, and, and we know that Strife is his evil clone, but does he yet? And you got to find out if he did, how he did, why he did. And I left. And I came back and visited. Something you guys need to know. Again, it doesn't, because it doesn't, I've gone back because the 30th year, the 30th anniversary is coming up of Image Comics. And I really have uh, examined kind of every, what everyone was saying at the time. And it 100% definitely is Todd McFarlane's profile at that time is I'm angry at Marvel. They'd done me wrong. And they didn't give me and they didn't treat me the way I wanted to be treated. So I'm going to go off and I'm going to do my own thing. And that was kind of his gig. Well, you know, I had an outline for a cable special and and the cable uh, miniseries that you got to see by John Romita Jr. followed much of that outline. But then they, obviously, because Cable was so popular, they spun him off into his own series. Well, I didn't didn't have anything to do with that. The, the, the Ramita Jr. two-parter is definitely has my Im, Im, imprint all over it. And I'm not credited in the same way that I'm not credited for doing tight layouts for Mike Mignola. Mike Mignola, and I've shown those on social media many times over. Mike Mignola, I think I'm the only time he ever worked over somebody else's layouts. Uh, I mean, and when I mean he wor- worked over them, I mean 
they asked me to provide very tight and so pen and ink layouts were provided to Mike. Mike knew it. Mike Mike enjoyed it. He he told me it was a blast. But when it came time to print the comic, they didn't give me the credit. But over the years, and I've seen Mike at his table at shows tell people, yes, Rob laid that issue. He laid out X Force Eight. Um, I didn't get the credit in the in the cable miniseries either. It's it's uh, I didn't get the the the, the co plotting co story credit whatever. So the thing is. Uh, that when they did the regular cable comic, I think that launches in 93, maybe early 94 or whatever. Well, the Art to Bear, who I had known here in Southern California for years, was falling behind and he asked Marvel if it would be okay to ask me to help. And if I'm correct, cable number four has a special thanks to me in it. And that's because the first 12 pages, I laid out tight layouts that I provided to Art to help him meet the deadline. Uh, I don't even think I got paid for it. I just did it because I liked art and I wanted to help because Cable's my guy. Cable's my character. I wanted to see him succeed. So there was no animosity. I mean, I did a job that I didn't get paid for and didn't look to get paid for because I just enjoyed it. It was fun because, again, there's a part of comic book artwork that is jamming. When you jam, you're jamming, okay? It's like a band. One guy picks up a guitar, you pick up the bass, another guy hits the drums, okay? It's 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 great. It's fun. And and so I wanted to jam and it's fun. I, I, I opened that book not too long ago and you can definitely see that I laid the book out. I have a definite layout style. And Art even said, man, I learned a whole lot from you. I had, you know, Art was new to the penciling game. He had started off a penciler, but then he really dove into being an inker for about four or five years. And, and you know, at that point, I had been penciling comics for about five, six years. And so now I was able to jump in and help him out. And it was fun. And I love that issue. But again, my, my, my affair with these characters is never ending. I did the cover to X-Force 50. I did the cover to X-Force 100. Um when they asked me to revisit these characters in 2004, I was more than happy to do so. Because again, I love them. I love Shatterstar and Deadpool and Cable and Domino. They're my babies. I made them. I conceived of them. I created them. I, I named them. So here it is, the 30th anniversary. CB says, Rob, I'm, I'm going to make that happen for you. I say, I'm going to make, I, I am going to, I, here's my story. Here's what I want it to be. They're like, we're going to give you a one shot. And so kill shot, one shot, you know, I almost called it one shot, but kill shot sounds better. And CB went about to get it all cleared and he did. And to that, I want to very publicly at the 42 minute mark of this podcast, say thank you to CB Sobolski. You did me solid. Um, you, you came through for me on every level and I appreciate it. And I want to thank you. And, and, uh, I am humbled that you, um, delivered this opportunity to me because again, Marvel comics, I knew when I created Deadpool and Cable and Major X and Shatterstar and Domino and the MLF and Strife that they would belong to Marvel. I got a nice, back in 1988, the, 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 the character sharing, the character agreement, they were generous. It could set me up for life. It has kind of operated in that fashion. Um, I have been able to participate with these characters in royalties uh, in games and in, in, in toys, people always ask me, do you get yes? The answer is yes. Yes, I participate in these characters across the board and I have since 1988 when I signed those agreements to, to, to start funneling characters to them. When Did, did Frank Miller sell Electra to Marvel? He did. He did. Uh, did. Did Walt Simonson sell Beta Ray Bill to Marvel? He did. He had that character. They had those characters. They sold them per, you know, whatever agreement. I sold Cable and Deadpool and Shatterstar and all these characters I keep naming. I sold them to Marvel because I, I needed them. And, 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 and I needed them to pull off um, my hopes and dreams and career aspirations. 
and and it worked. And and so, in in, in now that I've gotten the green light, and I got a one shot, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to do a variation of that hundred cable story. I'm going to do a variation of the hundred cable story. I'm going to have multiple cables, and not just that. I'm going to have multiple Deadpool's. I'm going to have multiple Shatter Stars. I'm going to have multiple Dominoes. I'm going to have Cable assemble a team at a point in the future where they have to take down Strife, who is going to take his one shot at wiping everybody out. It's that simple. My approach from the beginning of this kill shot project was the first 15 minutes, the opening minutes of Saving Private Ryan, storming the beach at Normandy. That's what my characters were going to do. As a kid, I loved Asteroid M. It was Magneto's asteroid. When they introduced that he lived on an asteroid and he was looking down on everybody and, and, and kind of... Uh, charting everyone's movements and placements and it made me just go wow Magneto's a badass he lives in an asteroid well in my pitch asteroid m is now asteroid s it stands for strife and i didn't tell you the story of how he got it that's a story for another time but strife came in and has taken over asteroid m it is now asteroid s and we show you in the opening page cable lays out the mission to the multiple versions of cable and major x and Shatterstar and Domino. And there's some fun along the way. The Thing is here. Warpath's here. There's all... Venom Pool is here. And they are going to take the asteroid and defeat Strife or die trying. That's it. That's the mission. They have 33 pages to do it. 33 pages meant 33 minutes. We have a clock a countdown that we uh, carry out through the entire book of these characters as they attempt to succeed as they attempt to succeed, as they attempt to take down the nemesis that is Strife and Zero and the MLF and his Eradicator weapon, okay? So uh, the Eradicator cannon will be what he fires on everyone with. And uh, and, and that's it. That, that, that it's, it's, uh, it's really that simple in regards to, uh, to how they're going to fire the weapon and harm all mankind, mutant kind. And so you know that since his first appearance, Cable appears through his different portals. He body slides into your life. He is going to body slide this team that he has assembled of multiple Shatter Stars and Major X and, and Dominoes and Venom Pool and Deadpool. And, uh, and they're going to take the fight to Strife and try and destroy him. And so uh, the Eradicator, we're not going to let that cannon fire. Very simple mission, 33 pages, a perfect opportunity for me to share with you all that I enjoy out of these characters. I wish it was 48 pages. I wish it was five issues, okay? But what I got is a one shot and I'm grateful that they gave it to me and I'm grateful that it, it represents the celebration that it does. And I think that you will have a very, very good time. Along the way, I did ask myself, is this too action packed? I had a good friend who I was talking to the day that I started drawing this. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, and I quote, and you should hear this. I said, I'm starting X-Force Killshot. He goes, how's it going? I said, I am going to Jack Kirby the shit out of this. I said, I am going to suck the marrow from Kirby's bones and spray it across all these pages. And even I was like, wow, what a weird thing to say. I remember, I remember kind of was like, Wow, I didn't expect that to come out of my mouth. But it's it's what I was thinking. It's what I said. And I meant it. And I wanted to attack this book. I only had one shot to communicate to you guys who carried this book to the top slot over and over and over again, who, 
who, who gave these characters 30 years, not just of, of existence, of success. You guys put these characters on the charts, on the map. And uh, if you read Major X, you're, you're going to have a leg up because Major X has so much kind of ground world building. Some, 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 we laid a lot of ground in Major X and so much of that becomes important in X-Force Killshot. Alexander Summers, which in Major X's reality, he is the product of a relationship of Storm and Cable. And if you didn't know that, you should read Major X. Major X, one, two, three, four, five, six, came out in 2019. It was the last new X-Men book before uh, the X-Men became plant-based. That's my little joke about the Krakatoa era, I call when they became plant-based. And uh, lots of flora. I mean, they even had three old ladies attack them who were kind of, uh, you know, into the flora and fauna of, of, of everything. But and I, And the reason I know that is because you guys sold out every issue of Matrix. You really honestly surprised Marvel with how you showed up and sold this book out. Sold Matrix one out, two out, three out, four out, five out. Every single one of those books went back to press. And on the day that Major X arrived, it had already sold out a week earlier. There was no copies left to get. The head of sales at Marvel Comics uh, contacted me and said, Hey, Rob, what if we took the Wolverine 154 and 155 that you did that you're drawing some of your material from? Because again, these all, these all connect. X-Force Killshot is connected to Major X, which is connected to dead uh, uh, Wolverine 154 and 155. They said, what if we reprint those Wolverine issues? And, and this is funny. They had just done it um, that summer for uh, the, the summer before they had just reprinted that uh, to coincide with Deadpool 2. Uh, and 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 uh, the year before that was the first time they'd ever reprinted it. So so they'd just reprinted in the, in the span of about 14 months, they had reprinted Wolverine 154 and 155. But he said, let's do it as a standalone comic and you create a framing sequence. Um, that maybe can, can give a short major X story. And I said, perfect, I have it. And, and why I'm telling you this is he said, this has to come out this month In it has to ship in the last week of June because in July we start the plant-based um, era of X-Men. And, uh, and, and so I remember when Major X Zero was coming into the offices and preparing to go out they're like, yep, it's the last book. Major X Zero, which is the end of Major X 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, comes out in the next week. You got the plant-based X-Men that started. And so uh, so, so we were able to charge through and get that extra zero, that zero which existed only because you guys showed up and sold out every single issue of Major X. That's why Major X Zero existed. It's a double-sized issue that wasn't on the schedule, it wasn't part of the plan, and it had a wraparound story telling you some of the origins of of what, you know, you met Commander X and Lieutenant X and Captain X, and it was it was, it was fun. It was, it was such a blast. Such great memories. Um, it was collected in trade if you need to catch up on it because Alexander, Major X, uh, he plays a great, a, a big role in, in Killshot. What, why wouldn't he? I mean, he is the another piece of the legacy that we built with cable. And, uh, but the Jack Kirby of it all was meant that this was going to go at a rapid fire pace. I was going to shoot these characters out of a cannon. Here's your mission. That's the first five pages of this book. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're going to do it. 
Here's who's doing it with me. Boom, let's go. Six, seven, page six, seven, all the way to 33 is just boom, 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 boom. Move, 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 move. Action, action, action. Uh, 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 storming the beach at Normandy. That's all I kept thinking of. Storming the beach at Normandy. The opening of Saving Private Ryan, which I honestly could could argue is his greatest work. Better than Schindler's List. Better than Close Encounters. Better than E.T. Better than whatever you believe. I think Saving Private Ryan is just some of the most wicked and accomplished uh, uh, storytelling, directing that 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 uh, that Steven Spielberg has ever put forth, and that opening fifteen minutes is a centerpiece all on its own. And really, that's all I had. I had thirty three pages. How am I going to film? How am I going to tell a beginning, a middle, and end? And so I set about to do this. Jack Kirby the shit out of it. Suck the marrow off Jack's bones and spray it all over the pages. I feel like I did that. I took the first batch of pages with me to Maui. The next batch of pages followed me to Italy. My family and I had a glorious end of summer vacation. My son is going to graduate college. I'm so proud of him. He's already got his job. He's ready to go. Um, Our family was really only promised that time together for the end of the summer of 2021. And uh, so my wife and I kind of put together this master travel plan again, post, you know, losing a year during a hellacious pandemic, but we were able to pull it off. We didn't even think we, you know, we were nervous right up until the very end. Will we be able to get to Maui? Will we be able to get to Italy? But we did. The reason I'm telling you this is I'm looking at pages right now. So every Venom pool page and the Deadpool pages were with me in Italy and I drew them every morning and I did it with great zeal and enthusiasm because I couldn't believe that my career of drawing comics, of making comics, had been able to afford me taking my entire family to Positano, to this beautiful, magical place in Italy that we love so much. And we were in this villa. And I got up every morning and I drew these pages and I had the best time. And sometimes one of my wife or my kids, one of my wives, <laughs> sorry, my wife, one of my kids would video this for me and take pictures of what I was doing because I just, I love drawing in paradise. I love it. I, I, I absolutely love it. I did some covers while I was in Maui. I started doing some layouts for this. When we got home, we went our separate ways. My son went back to school. My, my daughter started her senior year. Uh, my, my youngest son got cast in a, in a movie and he was gone. So the I, I told my wife, the remaining days of August and all of September, I will be finishing this book. Uh, I had to wrap this book up before I went to New York Comic Con. So if you saw me in New York Comic Con in 2021, I had just sent in the entire book. I was watching the last few colored pages come through. But I had held a couple pages I had held a couple pages back because I thought I was, shoot, I was taking up, I was, I, I was, I was holding up a couple of big action pages to see if I needed them because I may need them for storytelling and I can't be indulging myself the entire time is what I said. 53 at the time, 53 year old Rob Liefeld is sitting there going, are you really not going to do this Venom pool double pager that you love so much? And my, the Venom Pool double pager is the last page. I I I, uh, I penciled and inked this entirety on uh, a Sunday in September. I watched NFL football games the entire day. It may have been the day the Arizona Ram, uh, Cardinals beat the Rams, um, but uh, it, it's towards the last act of the book. And I had already had Venom Pool beating down on forearm, but I wanted to go bigger. I wanted to say more. I wanted to double page splash it. But I didn't know until the very end that I'd have room for that. So I had to lay out to the very end what I needed out of this story and make sure everything clicked. And then I realized, I do, I do have the room. And so I was able to give you guys this big double page, whomp, 
and I, I just had such a blast. This is the first project in a long time that I penciled and inked every single page, and this Venom Pool punching forearm, because Venom Pool already kind of has his encounter, and I could have forearms running away from him, so I could have technically ended it and used it for something else, but I, I love Venom Pool. I, I love Venom. Come on. You've got Venom and Deadpool rolled into one dude. How great is that? I've drawn him on some covers. I did him on, uh, in, in 2017, I drew him on a cable cover, looming over cable. It's one of my favorite covers. I loved how it came out, so I was so excited. I know there's been versions. I know there have been versions of Venom Pool that have appeared. There, there, I, I was kind of looking up what's his first appearance. It's kind of like a what if, or like, but he, this is the Venom Pool that is in the video games, that is in, uh, that, that Marvel has made toys and statues out of. He hasn't appeared in a comic until now. This is his first really integrated Marvel comic appearance where he is kicking all sorts of ass. And he is kicking all sorts of ass alongside Cable and the X-Force team because he's one of the squads. He's one of them. There's five different squads making their attack here. And and again, so I, 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 was, I was so thrilled that I was able to do this and it wasn't a lost sacrifice that I was able to implement. And, and when it came with the staples in front of it, because I didn't know if it really worked until it arrived in my hands printed, but I knew then that the pacing and the cadence and that this pow, this pop, this splashy image comes at the right time in the story It because that's what comic books are about. And when I talk about John Byrne doing a splash page followed by a double page splash page and ended with a splash page in the X-Men, which blew my mind. And when Jack Kirby's Black Panther or Captain America or Machine Man or Captain Victory would have a splash page followed by a double page splash page and it would end on a splash page. That was an indulgence of sorts, but it worked. It connected with me. It blew me. It blew my mind as a kid. Okay, when Neil Adams did double pagers, oh my gosh, when he did splash pages. But guys like Kirby, guys like Miller, Simonson, Byrne, they were very conscientious in how they laid pages out and how they worked up the cadence. If everything's a splash page, nothing is special. But if you can build to it and get that punch and then retract and then build to another one, it's it's part of the fun. It really is part of the fun. And and so it, it worked out for me. But it, as I said. Not Snake Eyes, not not Shield, not Major X. Not I have not done a book that I penciled and inked every single line on. I penciled them all, but the inking, and I mean the background lines, I mean the 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 borders, I mean the spotting of the blacks. Every rendered line, every line weight, every single line you see in X Force Kill Shot is from me. I labored over it. Uh, there are some pages I didn't use. There are some other pages. There was an extended battle between Cable and Strife. But honestly, that would have been too indulgence. Once they've traded blows for three or four pages, it didn't know it need to go five or six pages. So I left out a page there. I even had a page that got colored that was um, kind of moving towards the final um, uh, uh, confrontation between Cable and Strife. But I threw it out because I needed more time to pull off what I call the major X element of the finale. And you'll know this when you get it, if you get it. And I hope you get it. I really do. I hope you get it. I hope I didn't bore you. I hope I didn't dull you. It was fun drawing three different shatter stars and multiple dominoes. And no, I didn't get to do everything that I wanted, but I got to do enough that I am super satisfied. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, Chad Bowers, his script, he has been my go-to, my go-to script guy. For the last several projects, starting with Deadpool Bad Blood in 2015, when we started jamming together. So for six years, Chad Bowers has been my ride or die. Uh, he then did Major X with me. Uh, he then did Snake Eyes Dead Game with me. And he is now uh, 
you know, the proud scripter dialogue magician of X-Force Killshot. And he had to go through a lot of notes and a lot of uh, kind of rationalization that I gave him for each and every panel. But it it's so fun. Chad Bowers, thank you. You crushed it. Brian Valenza, Federico Bli, Mirza Wirawan, you guys came through for me. Um, Brian and I, this is the first time we collaborated on interiors. It was super fun. Federico Bli has been doing covers over me since 2016. He uh, did. He's done tons of covers. He, co- he colored my one issue of Archie's The Shield. He colored every single page of Snake Eyes Dead Game. Every single page. Prior to me uh, doing Dead Game, I had already gone and asked uh, uh, Brian Valenza to join me on, on this. The workload became uh, so much that we had to pull in a couple helper bees. And Federico Blee does the last five pages of this book. And it is, it is, is it five or is it six? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five, five absolutely amazing pages to, to top the story off. You get the first Venom Pool X-Force here. You get the first Anti-Zero. You see Zero has a doppelganger named Anti-Zero. I hope you enjoy it. It, it could be the beginning of something wonderful and, 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 and menacing and sinister and tyrannical. We'll see. We'll see how you guys react to this. You guys, if you can get out there and buy these copies up, man, I would appreciate it. I had such a good time giving this to you. And I want to tell you... Um, Joe Sabino crushed it. He absolutely crushed the lettering. The lettering on this is fantastic. Thank you, Joe. Um, I think it's Virtual Calligraphy, but VC is the company that he works with. But Joe Sabino is his name, and he crushed it. He absolutely powered. Uh, It is the first time I've gone back, and I've really been impressed. Uh, Like, more than most, his lettering is fantastic. And my editor, Mark Basso, who I worked with the entire time from the minute we came together and I started making these pages in August. He was my guy, and I just want to thank you so much, Mark Basso. Thank you to everybody who did variants. Uh, uh, Laniel Yu, uh, Ron Lim, uh, 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 J. Scott Campbell, everybody who contributed to the variants on this book. And um, uh, Thomas Mason, who colored the Hidden Gem variant, uh, Valenza, Alejandro Sanchez, thank you guys for making this such a great experience. It is so fun. I cannot believe this exists. I can't believe it was 30 years ago. Um, I love these characters. I have an endless stream of stories for them. No one loves these characters more than me. They never will. They never, ever will. Chad Bowers, Joe Sabino, Brian Valenza, uh, Federico Bli, Mirza, we're a one. Thank you for delivering this book. Thank you for helping me get it over the line. Mark Basso, C.B. Sabolski, Marvel Comics, Everybody, David Gabriel, David Bogart, all of you guys, um, thank you so much. This was such an incredible blast. I have been flipping through it. I hope when it lands in your hands that you enjoy it. That's all I ask. I'm not trying to change the world. I'm not trying to cure cancer. I'm just trying to have a good time entertaining you with characters that you like, doing things you like to see them do. That's it. It's simple. It's a simple formula. It's what I loved. It's what I hope to give you guys, and I hope uh, you guys come out, and if you need to catch up and write, uh, grab your major X's and you can't get to a comic store, I know those are on Comixology, you can buy them all, you can catch up, uh, you'll be richer for it if you're coming in blind. It would behoove you to understand who Alexander Summers is, and you'll get that out of the major X. But if you don't, that's fine. We, we, we covered enough uh, in here. Uh, I told you about the, the the pages that didn't make it, extended cable strife sequences. Um, uh, uh, but otherwise, the lineup pages, the MLF pages, 
the action pages, the Venom Pool, the Deadpool, Cable, Strife, Alexander, the Shatterstar Spotlight page, um, Anti-Zero. Ah, oh, such a good time. This is so much fun. Thank you for taking this ride with me. I, you guys, I was 30 years younger. I was in my 20s doing this all over again because you guys, uh, you changed my life. Your love of these characters gave me the career that I had hoped I'd have. And I could not um, be more appreciative. And I look forward to seeing what you guys think about this. And if you did have fun, if it did entertain you, please let me know. X-Force Killshot is out November 24th. Especially if you order Marvel switched over to Penguin as their master primary distributor. I know the stores that are getting them from Penguin are getting them on the week that they were solicited. This book was always scheduled to come out November 24th. It's it's arriving November 24th. Uh, Diamond Distributing... They had a ransomware issue. It's been kind of made known all over the place, and that has caused extra delays. So Diamond accounts, I think, aren't getting it till after Thanksgiving, but it's coming to you. I hope you can get a copy. Um, I know right now on Midtown Comics, they are waitlisted. Every single cover option is waitlisted. They are sold out. So um, I would get your copy early. Let's celebrate. Thank you for 30 years of Cable and Deadpool and Major X. Not 30 years of Matrix. Uh, 30 years of Shatterstar and Domino and Strife and the MLF. I'll name them. Forearm, Strobe, uh, uh, Wildside, Reaper. They're all here. They're all here to play. Thumbelina, Dragoness, okay? Um, Tempo, uh, uh, Old Man Cable, uh, Venompool. These are, this, this, this group is so much fun. Again, thank you. Thank you for participating. Thank you for listening to Rob's Observations. I tooted my own horn. I Taylor Swifted the shit out of this podcast. That girl re-records an album. She lets everybody know, no, I will not sing or do a 10-minute reading of X-Force on Saturday Night Live. They're not going to let me do that. Um, I am not as beautiful nor as talented as Miss Swift is. Um, I mean, come on, Taylor Swift, she's in the Deadpool Hall of Fame because she wore the Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds Deadpool costume. Halloween in 2016. I mean, forever. Um, um, you know, uh, I remember that all too well. There, I worked in a Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, uh, she's awesome. I love her. And I love how much she markets. You think she really needs to? No, she doesn't. She's fabulous. And, and she's already sold a gajillion albums. And she sells out arenas. But she wants you to know when she has new stuff coming your way. And she goes out of her way to show you. So like I said, I cleared at the top of this episode. I cleared with all of the Rob Liefeld executives that I could come on and I could promote my stuff to you today for one solid episode. And I've done that. And I thank you. And this is the time of the show where we read your reviews. And I am so excited that you guys leave reviews for me and that you're excited about what we're doing here. And thank you for sharing and listening and for leaving reviews. We need your five stars. We need your subscriptions. We need your word of mouth. And when you leave reviews for us, I read them at the end of every show and we need them so badly. They help our show so much. They help get the word of mouth out. Today, I am listening. I am reading from Doc Bob 72 This is a recent review that DocBob72 has left and it says, great listen. It's five stars. He says, really enjoyable every time. You cannot help but love Rob Liefeld's enthusiasm. A few years older than me, and on the other side of the Atlantic, but so much resonates. Rob's love for the medium is a joy, and the excitement and the excitement is still showing through. Great stuff, Rob. Thank you, Doc Bob72. He is in Great Britain. Doc Bob72, Great Britain. Thank you for that generous, generous uh, review that you have left for me. I am going to uh, see if I can summon 
this one last review that was so generous um, <clears throat> and, 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 and read it to you guys. Um, this, uh, this, this, this was a very, very kind and generous one is to compliment um, Doc Bob 72's uh, already incredibly generous review. This review comes from a gentleman named Mike D'Alfonso from Canada. So we're getting we're getting an international audience today. We're getting the, you're hearing from the international audience. Mike D'Alfonso. It says much love to your podcast. Gives us five stars. He says I confess um, that I am a lapsed fan of your work, Rob, for many years. However, when I heard that you were doing a podcast on how you described your early fan experiences to your current status as a pro and the candidness that you put forth, whether it is an opinion of the current climate of multimedia movies and TV platforms that are loose adaptations of the comics and the inside baseball of the creative feuds of creators. That is only the tip of the iceberg of what Rob puts out in his content. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike D'Alfonso. Um, he is uh, very generous to leave this very generous uh, enthusiastic um, expression of what he digs about the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you each and every week for um, 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 downloading. I love when I go out, as I will. I'll be on the road. I'll be at the LA Comic Con. I'll be at C2E2. It'll probably be freezing, but what the heck? Any opportunity for me to promote my work to you guys? I'm going to take. I'm going to take that chance. I have a local store appearance. If you happen to be listening to this this Saturday, November is it 27th? I will be, uh, look, look, check the date. It's the sa- Saturday after Thanksgiving. I will be at Comics, Tunes, and Toys in Tustin signing. If you buy a copy of X-Force Killshot, I will sign it for free. Thank you so much for participating in this. I hope to see you guys as I promote this down the road. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter, at Robert Liefeld. The whole name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. On Instagram, I am just at Rob Liefeld, the way you know me here. R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. At Rob Liefeld on Instagram, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I am all over Facebook. This podcast has a page. Please go check it out. You can ask me questions. I'll be happy to interact with you on the Rob Rob Observations with Rob Liefeld fan page on Facebook. I am in so many other groups. I'm in a Land of the Lost group. I'm in a 70s, 80s group. I'm in a Legion of Superheroes group. I'm in an X-Men group. I'm in a Silver Age group. I'm in a Golden Age group. I'm in a Bronze Age group. I have a, I have a Rob Liefeld fan page. I have an extreme fan page. I have so many pages. I'm all over Facebook. Please drop by. Please say hello. I love our conversations. I love our back and forth. It, it is so exciting that we live in the day and age where we can talk directly at and to each other. Thank you guys for listening to this show. This is the part of the show where you commit to me that you are going to take care of yourself. And I believe it because you need to. You need to take care of your mind, your body, your soul. You need to feed all of them. You need to chill. If you need to chill, just chill. Just take care of yourself. Make make sure that you can get through to the next day. We are rooting for you. I am rooting for you. You are going to stay safe and we are going to talk again real soon. 